Welcome to the Retail Focus Podcast, a weekly collection of news, interviews, and information from the world of retail. Welcome to this edition of the Retail Focus Podcast. I'm Trent Kling for Leighton Working Behind the Scenes. Coming up on this week's episode, we'll be joined by Tom McGee, President and CEO of ICSC. He'll be joining us to discuss some numbers regarding the upcoming Black Friday through Cyber Monday, really Thanksgiving through Cyber Monday shopping season, some of their expected sales numbers from the research that they've done. He'll talk a little bit also about the expected cadence of those sales and demographics, who is expected to shop and when. In news, Ross not only releases their latest earnings, but a unique insight into some of the goings-on in the apparel retail industry. And we'll look ahead to CVS announcing closures of around 9% of their store base. A reminder that you can check us out on social media at Retail Podcast on both Instagram and Twitter. Additionally, if you like what you hear, you can certainly give us a rating. Those ratings help others to find and check out the Retail Focus Podcast. So we appreciate those who have given us ratings thus far. Let's dive right into the news. Once again, as I mentioned, Ross Stores released their latest earnings on Thursday of this past week. They did beat analyst expectations. And it's kind of interesting because so many people in the retail field, as well as our guest today, Tom McGee, will tell you that generally speaking, retailers need both a strong brick and mortar and e-commerce presence, especially those legacy retailers that started out with the brick and mortar presence. But Ross is really the lone remaining outlier in terms of successful retailers that don't have much of an e-commerce presence at all. I think at home comes to mind, they finally began their e-commerce business, but Ross proved this quarter that the allure of the off-price bargain hunt was enough for their core customer to kind of askew e-commerce and go into their stores. They did beat analysts' expectations for earnings per share once again, earnings per share Slated to come in at $0.79, but Ross delivered a $0.30 beat, a beat of about 38%. They came in with earnings per share of $1.09 per share on an adjusted basis. It's been about a year since we discussed them on the show. Ross and their DD's discounts banner have continued to grow at a rapid pace even during the pandemic. Since the last time we talked, they added a number of stores to their portfolio. Currently, they have 1,629 Ross locations in 40 states and Guam, and then they have 295 DD's discount locations in 21 states. Differentiator, just in case you're wondering, in case you've been to one maybe but not the other, differentiator between the two is that DD's discounts typically offers slightly higher level products, maybe more name brand products, if you will, at a more moderate price point. So a little bit higher price point than that typical Ross store. If you want to think about it kind of like a more accessible Steinmart or maybe what Gordman's once was a few years before their first bankruptcy and before they went into kind of the Ross level of off-price retailing. But in any case, because Ross doesn't have an e-commerce presence, the early days of the pandemic, those were particularly rough on sales, basically reducing them to zero in areas in which closures were forced. The reason I mention this is because in some cases, closures bled into the 2020 third quarter. 
And of course, that would show up in comps for this year's third quarter. As such, all comps they provided and all comps I'll provide you, the listener, are in comparison to 2019 rather than 2020. Now, let's get to the actual sales numbers, the numbers we're interested in. Comp store sales were up 14%, and that's in line with their previous quarters in 2021, how much they were up over 2019 versus 2019 basket size was also up. It was up pretty significantly, enough to offset slight declines in traffic, although they didn't give specific numbers on that front. Overall, net sales were up 19% across the company to $4.6 billion. Comes from a combination of those comp increases and the new locations we just discussed. And those new locations were a theme for Ross on the call. They did during this last quarter at 18 new Ross stores and 10 new DD's discount stores. Their store opening program is actually beginning to accelerate in terms of year by year after a brief slowdown during the pandemic. However, the breaks are being put on it at least for one quarter. They are done opening stores for the year. They aren't opening new stores during Q4 to focus completely on sales at their existing stores and making sure those stores stay stocked. Meanwhile, operating margin on all of the sales, including those new sales that are coming in, came in at 11.4%. That's better than expected, but when you compare it to 2019, it is a little bit worse. The three usual culprits that we're hearing in 2021 were blamed by management for not returning to those 2019 profitability levels. We're talking about freight costs, wage costs, and COVID costs, and those are really the three main things when companies talk about margins being trimmed that they do bring up. Now, categorically, A good sign for Ross is that children's and men's were actually the best performing categories versus previous quarters. And the reason I say this is a good sign is because men's in particular is a category that offers Ross some market share potential. TJX has seemingly kind of moved away, not completely, but they're not focusing quite as much on men's as a category. For example, TJ Maxx no longer carries men's shoes. Marshall's still does, but They offer really kind of a muted selection versus the likes of Ross. Market share in off-price was a big topic on this call, and so no doubt this is something that Ross has focused on. In fact, a visit earlier this summer to an Alabama TJ Maxx, I saw only three total racks of men's clothes in the entire store, while the nearby Ross had twice that many racks of men's clothing in a store that had about the same square footage. And speaking of... The Southeast at Alabama, TJ Maxx, and Ross. Regionally for Ross, the Southeast did carry the mail along with the Midwest in terms of their best performing regions. For DD's discounts, all regions performed well and outpaced expectations by about the same amount. So we talk about all of these great looking numbers. And while things were rosy for the third quarter, Ross hasn't escaped the issues that are plaguing the rest of the retail industry. CEO Barbara Rentler said in prepared remarks on the call that supply chain congestion may affect in stocks during the holiday quarter. As such, their expectation for comp sales are only looking at a 7-9% to gain during the quarter. They actually reduced their EPS target as well. Earnings per share expected to come in for the quarter around 83 to 93 cents. Now, those that have been to a Ross historically around 
let's say December 18th or so, you know that shelves aren't exactly full at Ross or other off-price stores at that time of the year anyhow. So given the low expectations by management, we might be seeing a lot of empty Ross stores in the week leading up to specifically Christmas. Now granted, this would have potential benefits such as maybe improving inventory turns, decreasing clearances at their two banners, but it's still not a positive financially when you look at it in the aggregate. That noted, the company still sees long-term potential to build on 2021's momentum. So going into 2022, they still feel as though, despite whatever shortcomings they may have in the holiday quarter, that they can keep going on what they built in 2021. And Rentler noted that continued bankruptcies, particularly in retail apparel, will help Ross on two fronts, deal flow and market share. And both have been a concern for the entirety of the off-price sector. I think over the last three to four years, is TJX, Ross, and Burlington, they all continue to grow in terms of both location count and market share. In Ross's case, they added 64 net new stores this year across all their banners, and they have plans to add around another 100 in 2022. So you're looking at store additions, store openings, back to pre-pandemic levels. That's not even to talk about TJX and Burlington, who are also continuing to grow. And then you have regional off-pricers, Factory Connection, who is big in the southeast and the southern United States, or one half of one half, which is a regional chain in the Great Plains, you could be forgiven for believing that at some point, deal flow has to maybe slow for these off-pricers because there's so much demand or maybe prices on acquired merchandise would potentially rise, apart from increases that we're already kind of seeing in terms of freight costs, just the cost of merchandise might rise because you have so many off-price players now. And so for any of these companies to really thrive, it's incumbent on their own buyers. And they say this on multiple earnings calls. They said it on this call again, did Ross, as well as you know flagging sales for full-price clothing retailers. That certainly helps out too, or the bankruptcies or the closures that were also mentioned. And at least on the buyer's front, seem to be doing a great job at Ross. Cost of inventory acquired rose just 10 basis points year over year. That is a fraction of an increase despite all of this talk of inflation far outpacing that figure. Again, really their main costs in terms of cost of goods sold that came from freight, whether it be fuel or whether it be staffing that freight. And Rentler said that right now, while buying availability is kind of inconsistent simply because of supply chain issues, because of other issues going on in the retail landscape, conditions for buying for off-pricers are favorable in certain categories. So this kind of makes those others where buying is difficult a little bit of a wash. And her hope is that post-COVID, manufacturers will create more goods as a result of general bullishness surrounding retail. So you might see those bankruptcies, those closures stem off, but manufacturers, those providers going to be bringing in more product, going to have more product left over. Therefore, deal flow will remain strong for Ross. At least that's the expectation post-pandemic. Now, in terms of their current inventory position, because we talked about this quarter might be a little bit difficult for Ross on the inventory front, they do have far more inventory, about 40% more, in fact, on hand than they had at the same time last year. However, they are down on a per-store basis from 2019, 
And even more alarming, at least in the short term, is their lack of Packaway merchandise. Packaway levels for Roth, they like those to be pretty close to 40% of their total inventory. But for this latest quarter, Packaway levels fell to just 31% of their total inventory. You look back in 2019, Packaway levels were 39%. This is because they've had to use a lot of their Packaway to keep stores fairly full during this time of not only supply chain congestion, but also freight issues and a number of other issues. And that's before we even get to the fact that they're just experiencing increased sales on the whole. Now, Ross is across the company planning significant inflows of goods for the next six weeks. They expect those deliveries to be made even after any delays over the next six weeks. And that's in an attempt to continue to get merchandise on store shelves during this golden quarter. But again, we talked about it. Management expectations don't seem to be very high in this regard. And finally, looking at inflation, their buying costs, as we talked about, they've been roughly the same versus 2020, but they are experimenting with price increases here and there to understand where resistance might occur if their buying costs do go up. Now, because they are downstream, so to speak, from those mainline retailers, They've also been able to capture pricing data on that front. They've also been able to look at what those mainline retailers are doing, what's working, what's not. They're experimenting with a few of those retailers. Also, they were asked about supply chain congestion, maybe opening up deals to them in the near future. Full price retailers, you're looking at them, may not get certain seasonal merchandise in time because of issues, whether it be with ships, whether it be with domestic supply chain and they talked about this, but ultimately leadership said it's too early to tell whether they're going to see significant inflow of additional deals because of some of this stranded merchandise that's out there. But they did note that they're noticing a trend of vendors over-ordering, which may trickle down. And the over-ordering is actually as a result of attempts on the part of vendors to try to gain market share while other vendors might have inventory hung up. So you're seeing, of course, it's a multi-layered process, but one of the reasons we wanted to talk about the earnings call here, not so much the earnings from Ross, but what they're seeing elsewhere. So you have certain vendors over-ordering or ordering more than what they think they'll need, possibly to take over market share from those vendors who aren't doing that. And they said not every vendor out there is over-ordering in this way. But many of them are, and I think that's something to certainly keep an eye on, not only as far as off-price is concerned, but also as far as diversity of product in mainline apparel retailers in particular. I think there's a lot of interesting things going on kind of beneath the surface. We can talk about the supply chain congestion. We can talk about logistics being a bit of an issue this time of year. But ultimately, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that could cause a bit of a ripple effect, not necessarily good or bad, just intriguing for the first quarter or second quarter of 2022. Well, that'll do it for our news segment coming up right after this break. We'll be joined by Tom McGee, president and CEO of ICSC. We're going to talk about those Thanksgiving weekend shopping expectations. We're going to talk about not only the numbers, but also the cadence of sales, demographic breakdowns, and much, much more. Thank you. 
While we've spent substantial time talking about the holiday retail season as a whole, we've only briefly touched on expectations for the shopping weekend, Thanksgiving, and the days following. And so, with that big weekend coming up just days from now, we wanted to look at data regarding expectations for Thanksgiving Day, Black Friday, and Cyber Monday, and the weekend it encompasses. And joining us to do just that is Tom McGee, the president and CEO with ICSC, the member organization for the advancement of the marketplaces industry. Tom, welcome to the show. We're happy to have you today. Great to be with you, Trent. First, before we dive into the data, I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about ICSC. Those involved with retail probably know a bit about the company, but for those that don't, I was wondering if you could share kind of the current scope of your operations there. Sure. ICSC is a member organization. We are focused on advancing the marketplaces industry. The marketplaces industry is everywhere where somebody shop, dine, works, plays. Our members are everyone that's involved in owning, developing, occupying those marketplaces and spaces that are integral parts of communities across the U.S. and Canada. We have about 50,000 members. We've provided a number of programs and services for our members. We're well known specifically for our large events that we hold, our large networking and deal-making events, including our annual event that we hold in Las Vegas every May, which will have you know, somewhere around 35,000 people that will attend, and then another dozen or so events that will have between five to 10,000 people. And then a whole host of smaller networking and content and best practice related events all over the U.S. and Canada, a bunch of research, educational offerings, and obviously we provide advocacy and public relations support for the industry as well. All right. That gives us at least a little bit of idea of the perspective that you bring. And by the way, for listeners out there, if you've never been to the large gathering in Vegas, highly, highly recommend. So, I wanted to start out with your holiday intentions data. So this is data that came out a little bit before your Thanksgiving weekend data. And I was wondering if you could let us know a bit about the high-level survey findings from your holiday intentions data, what you saw overall as far as respondents and their shopping intentions for the holiday season as a whole. Yeah, sure. We have very strong expectations for this holiday season. Our forecast is for 8.9% growth year over year. And we are quite confident in that projection. Obviously, retail sales have been very strong over the course of the last number of months. There's you know, high personal savings rates. It's almost $2 trillion of personal savings, a lot of fiscal stimulus. And obviously, a number of retailers have recently posted earnings results that kind of support the strength of the industry. So we're quite optimistic. This holiday season is unlike any other. Certainly, last holiday season was unlike any other as well. But this one, we're starting to see, you know, folks really return to some of their pre-pandemic behavior. See a lot of folks out shopping and dining in marketplaces and as well as, you know, obviously using e-commerce and omni-channel retail. This is a longer holiday season. Clearly, there's supply chain challenges that people are concerned about, including retailers. And so they've encouraged, you know, customers to come out and shop earlier. And they, in fact, have. And so that has driven some of the positive results we've seen and partly one of the reasons the the positive results that, that have taken place in retail have occurred. But I believe that even though there has been demand pulled forward, you know, I don't see any signs to indicate that the next you know, month leading into you know, the culmination of the holidays will be anything 
other than as strong as it has been over the course of the last number of months. While there is clearly signs of you know, survey data that indicates a strain on consumer sentiment, we haven't seen that impact you know, consumer behavior yet at all. And I'm curious because some of your larger data also suggested that a number of respondents were expected to spend more dining out. And of course, this makes sense. A lot of dining out options either weren't available or were highly constrained in 2020. But I'm curious from a marketplace's standpoint, how that affects things, especially when you have shopping centers, marketplaces that are diversified with dining options. What are some of the effects there that we might see downstream from that expected increased spend in dining? Well, clearly, I do think the kind of the premise of your question is folks have missed that, right? And, and you know, that's why we've seen such a kind of an explosion of growth in dining and food and beverage. And, and the holidays have always been a period of time where people do a lot of that. And I think this year they'll do a lot of it and even more because they have missed, you know, that holiday experience. And part of that is going to holiday brunches and dinners and lunches, et cetera, people gathering together. So I think we'll see a lot of demand in that regard and huge growth. I think it's great for retail. Clearly, people enjoy experiences. There was a lot of spend towards experiences pre-pandemic. What we're seeing now, you know, in the course of the last number of months is an increased focus upon product, people buying more product than perhaps that existed pre-pandemic. But when people go out to dine, and the predominance of dining establishments are in marketplaces, just by definition, generally speaking, you know, being there is going to lead to more consumption of traditional type of retail products as well. And so I think that is, you know, a good sign for traffic, a good sign for demand through the holiday season. You know, I think it's implicit upon marketplace owners to, you know, make that experience a positive one. So you're seeing obviously a lot more investment this year on those things that were missing last year around holiday experiences, whether it's everything from Santa to the way the shopping center is laid out and decorated. All of that is going to be in full display this holiday season. But people dining out, that will lead to increased consumption, not only in you know, spend around food and beverage, but also spend on product because they're in a marketplace. And as you allude to, I think it's not a zero-sum game as you might see referenced in many media outlets out there. One might lead to the other. Now, I want to turn our attention to Thanksgiving weekend and some of your data surrounding what has been known as the largest shopping weekend in the U.S. What were some of your high-level findings just regarding the expected cadence of sales throughout the weekend and how sales were expected to fall over the course of those five days? Yeah, we expect it to be a super busy weekend. You know, even with the early start of the shopping season, people will buy both online and in-store. And I do think, you know, one of the big trends in retail is those retailers that are really effective at offering both online and physical experiences in a consistent manner will be the big winners and have been the big winners. But I think as you look out over the course of the weekend, it kind of falls the way you'd expect it. You know, there's about half of the folks will go shopping on Thanksgiving Day, a little more than half. You'll see almost three quarters of folks shop on, you know, Black Friday, which is that traditional day that we all associate with the holiday season. Small business Saturday, you know, 65% of folks will go out shopping that day. Sunday, you know, a little less, about 55%. And then Cyber Monday will be back to about three quarters of Americans will shop. And so super busy weekend. And you'll see 
a lot of traffic across both the digital and physical channels. So I expect this Thanksgiving Day holiday weekend to be, you know, a super strong one. And we've heard from other sources that this year could almost be considered kind of like the return to Black Friday. I know people were ringing death bells for Black Friday prematurely four, five, six years ago. What do your findings indicate as far as how this year's Black Friday might stack up against prior years Black Friday? Yeah, I do think that this is going to be a really strong Black Friday. I think Black Friday is a really important day, not in the way that it had been 25 years ago or 30 years ago, kind of that iconic day. You know, the name Black Friday infers that that's kind of the day that, you know, retailers turned into a profit. But it's iconic in the concept of the American psychology towards the holidays and shopping. But the holiday season has lengthened. And so there's lots of important days in the holiday season. But this particular Black Friday, I think, is, is going to be you know, quite unique because people are getting back out. You know, they missed you know, that experience of shopping, you know, just walking through the store and experiencing the holidays and being in crowds. And you know, while we're all focused on safety and it's important for you know, marketplaces and retailers to continue to be very diligent in that regard, you know, people are becoming much more comfortable you know, being in gatherings. And so I do think you're going to see a return to, you know, some of the crowds that we've associated with Black Friday, for sure. Now let's move our attention to one day prior, because as you already mentioned, one of the interesting things I think about your findings is the fact that so many people are expected to begin their shopping on Thanksgiving. At the same time, we have a trend where a number of shopping centers, a number of retailers have announced closures on Thanksgiving for the purpose of their associates. How have these increased closures on Thanksgiving affected retailers, shopping centers, marketplaces, and so forth? And and do you see kind of a funneling effect towards the retailers that are taking steps to be open on Thanksgiving? You know, I think overall it's, you know, it hasn't had a material impact upon, you know, sales volume. This has been going on for a number of years and it obviously is a great benefit to employees to provide Thanksgiving off. And we are living in a period of time where, you know, the war for talent is quite significant. So I do think there's a part of this that's quite beneficial for employees and a big reason why a number of retailers lean into that. You know, I think what you're seeing more broadly is, you know, it is a longer holiday season. And so the importance of contracting, you know, sales within that shorter window isn't as significant as it once was. And interestingly, while you know, the sales on Thanksgiving themselves are lower than they might have been historically because more retailers are closed. You're starting to see, you know, a lot more pickup on that Saturday, particularly the focus upon small business Saturday, which is, you know, I also think is an interesting trend because so many of us are sensitive to supporting small businesses and small local retailers who are were particularly hard hit by the pandemic. And so I do think this Saturday, Thanksgiving holiday weekend will be a strong one. And I think it's part of a broader trend towards all of us wanting to support small businesses that were particularly hard hit during the pandemic. One of my favorite parts about the data that you've provided regarding your Thanksgiving weekend shopping forecast here is the demographic data from your surveys. You broke it down every which way possible from region in the country, male and female, generational data. So I was curious, just as you were pouring through the data, as resulted from this survey, is there something from a demographic standpoint that maybe stood out to you most? I don't 
don't know that it stood out in regards to surprise, but I think, you know, a lot of folks, I think the presumption that, you know, often exists is that younger people don't go out and shop in, in physical settings, that they do everything online. And in fact, you know, millennials, Gen Zs, they enjoy that shopping experience and going out to physical stores and experiencing holidays in that regard. Quite frankly, even outside of the holidays, you know, Gen Z and increasingly millennials, as they move to the suburbs, that's driving a big increase in suburban retail. So I think a lot of people will be surprised at the strength of demand around kind of millennial and Gen Z demand with the presumption being that, you know, it'd all be the boomers that would be out shopping or the Gen Xers, but that's not in fact the case at all. I mean, it's everyone enjoys going out to shop as it relates to each of the demographic groups, respecting that really this concept of, because I do think this happens a lot. People focus upon, well, if online is growing, that must mean physical retails contracting or physical retails experiencing a, a boom, then that's got to be, you know, somehow diminishing the importance of online. And in fact, we kind of need to move beyond that conversation around, you know, e-commerce versus physical retail. Every successful retailer has a presence in both channels. And to be successful, you have to be good at both. And you have to figure out a way to leverage that asset of physical retail to help you know, support your e-commerce strategy as well. Because as you know, e-commerce is not a particularly profitable distribution channel. So physical retail is a pretty important channel for lots of reasons. It's where you engage with your customers. It's where you have a relationship with them. But it's also a way to help support e-commerce as well. I think one of the other interesting breakdowns that your data provided was rural versus suburban versus urban. So for example, rural customers slightly more likely to spend in a physical store, slightly less likely to buy online pickup in-store. I was curious some of the breakdowns you're seeing there and some of the differences we might see this holiday season between those living in rural areas and maybe those living in urban or suburban areas. Well, I mean, I've, obviously, I think that if you're living in a rural setting, you're not going to have the proximity to or maybe the selection that you would have in a more suburban or urban setting regarding retail offerings. But I do think one of the interesting things around you know, this particular year, given the supply chain challenges, is that as you get closer to you know, the holidays, I actually think you're going to see increasing demand for folks coming into the store, whether they're in rural or urban areas, because of the concern that people have around logistics. And will they get that present, that product they ordered online, if they wait too long? And so there's a certain safety in going to the store and having it and being able to make sure you walk out of the store with it. As anyone who has ever lived in a rural area knows, sometimes those last mile services, so to speak, can be more than spotty in those particular regions. I wanted to also turn our attention to decision-making as far as customers are concerned. We know price is still king when it comes to informing decisions. Your data, not only with the Thanksgiving weekend survey, but earlier surveys, have really suggested that customers planning trips around promotions as well. What were some of your findings as far as the planning process of customers, both for the holiday season and specifically for Thanksgiving weekend? You know, promotions are always important. You know, I mean, to some degree, all of us are somewhat priceless, right? And we all like a promotion and we all associate that with the holidays. And so I think that's part of the psychology that exists. It is also the use of promotions by retailers more broadly. You know, each retailer has their own strategy, but you see more promotions run earlier in the holiday season than you might have in the past, really to encourage people to shop earlier. 
because of the supply chain concerns that folks had. And if you look at the Thanksgiving Day weekend, there's a clear majority of folks that expect when they go out shopping over the Thanksgiving weekend that they're going to see promotions and discounts because that's what that weekend has always been associated with. So I do think that that drives a lot of behavior. Now, you know, more broadly, you know, we are living in an environment where inflation is, you know, clearly of concern and people are in rightfully increasingly concerned about that and the impact it has upon their day-to-day life. But when you look more broadly at the numbers and just look at retail sales information, it doesn't seem like that concern that folks have and have demonstrated in survey after survey in you know decreasing consumer sentiment around the economy and concern around inflation and particularly that hasn't dampened their behavior in regards to shopping and going out and buying goods and services. So yes, people are focused on promotion. That's part of the holiday expectation. Clearly more than half of the folks that are going to shop over this holiday weekend are driven by that expectation there's going to be promotions. But more broadly, that concern around inflation that exists and increasing price environment, that has driven a decrease in consumer sentiment overall, but it hasn't yet translated into a decrease in, in consumer demand. As we close out here, I wanted to back away a little bit from the data. You mentioned earlier kind of the perspective that you bring. You're, of course, deeply involved in not only the retail industry, but also the commercial real estate sector. I was curious as far as maybe some best practices that you've noted this holiday season, whether it be from retailers, whether it be from the centers or marketplaces that are housing those retailers, kind of as we head into the final month of this very big quarter. Yeah, I do think that what I was referencing throughout a number of the questions, which is this concept of e-commerce versus physical retail, and, and really the need to kind of move beyond that distinction and really look at everything is part of one channel, which is a consumer channel. And so I think from a best practice standpoint, you know, those retailers that are going to be successful, both in the short term and importantly in the long term, are going to be those that, you know, do a really good job of building an aligned experience between the physical and digital world. And that means using, you made a point around the last mile. And one of the interesting things that I think you've seen in the pandemic is how effectively you know, retailers have pivoted to using their store or restaurant for that matter in the food and beverage space as really a means to deal with the last mile and as a competitive advantage, whether it's things like curbside pickup and buy online and pick up in the store, et cetera, from a traditional product standpoint, or whether it's food delivery, when we order something on DoorDash or Postmates, et cetera, and that gets delivered from a local restaurant. But the importance of both of those things is they're close to where a consumer lives. And so using physical retail as a means to help solve for the last mile and it being supportive of your e-commerce channel on one hand, but also, you know, where consumers have that traditional retail experience of browsing shelves, et cetera. Secondly, I think, you know, given that there is going to be an increased use of stores as a means to help fulfill e-commerce sales, you know, store setup to be able to accommodate you know, different shopping patterns and traffic flows within the store and then shopping center to design marketplace design, you know, whether it's the parking lot, you know, to make sure that traffic still flows, even though people are stopping at curbside to actually pick stuff up or get things loaded in their trunk, 
really thinking about the logistics of all of that and making sure that the consumer experience is front and center is really, really important. Some great insights. And once again, I think ultimately boils down to the fact, Tom, that it's not a zero-sum game. It's not e-commerce versus physical retail. Both of them can work in conjunction to drive retail sales. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to discuss not only these results, but some other things you're seeing in the retail industry surrounding the holiday season. Thanks, Trent. As always, we may have a position in or against companies we discuss on the podcast. Do not invest in stocks solely on the input of the podcast hosts. Well, we thank Tom for joining us, and I said it during the interview, but I'll mention it again. If you haven't been to the large ICSC conference in Las Vegas, it is certainly worth going. Obviously, they're an organization that looks at things more from the real estate point of view, but I think it's an interesting conference to go to just to to meet and talk with some people about maybe what they're looking for in the space and certain industry trends as well for retail. I think it's a super super valuable conference to attend. Well, we've reached the final segment of the Retail Focus podcast, and in our Looking Ahead segment, Leighton in particular wanted us to look ahead to CVS's announcement of closures of 300 stores a year for the next three years. That comes out to approximately 9% of their store base, and this is something that Leighton and I had a conversation about after this news broke this week. And we talked about it. There's a lot of different things going on with CVS. And as is so often the case, there's a convenient explanation. And then there's a lengthier, more nuanced explanation for this. And I think a lot of news outlets went kind of the way of the easiest explanation. For example, CNBC, CNN both said these outlets were closing because more people were shopping online. That's not necessarily the case when you dig a little bit deeper. Now, It is one of the reasons CVS said that they were closing or planning to close these locations. But in reality, CVS said a major factor in their closure decisions has to do with changes to area populations. And ultimately, this is, we feel like, a capital allocation issue because CVS did say they want to take some of the capital that might be freed up by closing these locations and invest it into their digital presence invest it as well, put more capital towards their in-store healthcare solutions that have been so profitable and so good at driving customers through their doors. So really, ultimately, these stores might be profitable on a per-store basis, but if so, only slightly profitable, and CBS would rather put the money that they're spending on things like rent, the money that they're spending to staff these stores on other things within the company, which, of course, it's well within their rights to do, and some would argue that it's their fiduciary duty to do. Of course, you never like to see stores be closed, but I think the reason that it would be easy just to dismiss this as saying, oh, well, people are shopping online more, or people aren't going to the stores quite as much, is because we always look for a simple explanation for these things, and then, of course, digital sales are As Tom kind of referenced, this boogeyman that's out there, when in reality it's important to have both brick and mortar and digital presences, and once again, CVS in the quotes and various media outlets said, hey, our brick and mortar is really important to us, and in fact, one of the things that we're going to do is is go back 
bolster the existing stores once we have this capital freed up. But to me, I look at it like this. You know, there was a four-year period of time from 2004 to 2008 where CVS acquired over 2,500 stores. First, it was Eckerd in 2004. Then in 2006, you had Savon and Osco that they acquired from Albertsons. And then in 2008, you had Long's Drug, and they acquired over 500 Long's Drug stores. And Long's Drug had a big presence in Northern California, various areas in the Mountain West, Hawaii as well. And in driving through California this year, especially Northern California, you would see CVS locations in rural towns of 800 to 1,000 people that had formerly been Long's Drug locations. They had been purchased by CVS. And I think really what you see throughout CVS's brick-and-mortar portfolio is that a lot of these stores, a surprising amount of these stores, in fact, do exist. They exist in shopping centers, not exactly those freestanding CVS stores that one typically thinks about on hard corners and the like. And ultimately, I think what CVS didn't do at the time was kind of call out some of those locations and say, hey, this isn't our target market. I think that's now happening today. And so over the next three years, you'll see these 300 stores per year approximately be closed. And I would anticipate some of them would be in these smaller markets, in markets of less than 3,000 people where CVS had purchased these stores, whether from Long's Drug or whether from Eckerd, and just never really got around to closing those stores. Now, the reason I'm looking ahead is this. Obviously, we're going to look ahead at how the closures are meted out over the next few years. But I wonder what happens to that retail real estate, especially in those shopping centers. You're going to look at retailers like perhaps Dollar Tree moving in there. You look at even those in the non-retail sector, Leighton brought to mind DeVita, maybe moving into some of the freestanding locations if they choose to close any of those. So that's one reason I'm looking ahead at this. And the second reason I'm looking ahead is to see kind of how CVS does indeed pivot forward. We know they're adding to their in-store clinics. We know that they want to add to their in-store healthcare services. What's next for CVS, particularly as it pertains to their brick-and-mortar footprint? Because they've mentioned time and again that brick-and-mortar is so important to them, keep people coming through in their stores, and their front store sales haven't really suffered as a company, especially over the last couple of years. So few different things I want to look ahead to there, but very interested to see which markets get selected for these CVS closures. If they'll close some redundant stores in certain markets. I know here in Colorado, there are CVS stores, it seems like, at nearly every intersection. So you would have to think maybe some of those redundant stores in their chain would get closed, but just a, a lot to keep an eye on as far as just generally retail pharmacy and the direction it's headed over the next five years. Well, that'll do it for us here on the Retail Focus Podcast. Once again, big thanks to Tom McGee taking time out of his busy schedule to join us this week. Coming up next week, we'll be joined by Brandon Eisner. He's a researcher at CBRE. He'll be discussing CBRE's holiday sales data from a retail real estate perspective, something we just finished talking about in regards to the CVS closures. But he's going to talk a little bit about what shopping centers can expect to see and how holiday traffic this year will differ from years past and what shopping centers might be able to do to accommodate it in 
a manner that keeps things safe for all of their customers. So looking forward to that conversation. We thank you for listening and we'll be back with you seven days from now. This has been the Retail Focus Podcast. For more, visit our website at retailfocuspodcast.com and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at Retail Podcast.